If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen Nicotine Pouches, you can find many. Zen is America's number one nicotine pouch. It's made with only six simple ingredients. Plus, Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day hassle-free trial. There are lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zen. Find your Zen online or in a store near you at zen.com slash find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. My favorite experiences with fans is when they think we've gone to school together or something. That's my favorite. Yeah. Like I, I had one where a woman said, we know each other. And I said, do we? And she goes, we went to school together. And I was like, I don't, I don't think we did. And she went, yes, we did. And it was like that thing of like, why am I being awkward about it? And I went, where did you go to school? And she said some school. And I went, I did not go to that school. And she went, yes, you did. <laughs> and like, I was like, okay. And then I left and I could see that either someone else, yeah, someone else had been like, you don't know that person. You just thought that. <laughs> it was at the airport bookshop. And then through the window, you saw them being like, in silence, being like, oh no, oh God. It was, it's great. Oh, I'm John Krasinski, and I played Jim Halpert on The Office. Hi, I'm Craig Robinson, and I played Daryl on The Office. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Off the Beat, a very special episode of Off the Beat. I am your host, Brian Baumgartner. Now, this is a pretty special week, right? It's October. We're we're nearing All Hallows' Eve, if you will. But also, this week, many, many, many moons ago, two of my absolute favorite people on the planet were born. 
John Krasinski, who you know, Jim Helpert from The Office, and Craig Robinson, who played everybody's favorite warehouse foreman, Daryl Philbin. This year, well, I, I have decided to put myself in charge of the party planning committee. That's right. Somebody had to pick up the mantle. And I thought that a great way to celebrate my friends would be to go into the archives and revisit some of my conversations with them. So that's what I'm going to do. And you, listeners, you're in for a treat because these guys and our conversations, they were pretty, they were pretty great. First, we're going to go to John. Now, you, you may not know this, but John and I, we don't live so close together anymore. So I traveled all the way across the country to New York City to meet him and to have this conversation. And I have to say, from the moment that I saw him, it was like zero time had passed. Now, these days, we've been in touch quite a lot because, as you know, we're in football season and the Office Fantasy Football League is in its 18th year. We're in full swing, almost halfway through the season. I, I need to update you. JK and I are tied. We're both three and three. I have a few more points. I'm in fourth. He's in fifth. It's a race to the playoffs, but worth noting, rain dead last. 12th place. <laughs> And I always need to bring up Rain's position, especially when he is failing this year. Very, very hard. Happy birthday, John. I hope you all enjoy this best of Off the Beat. Here he is, my pal, John Krasinski. Bubble and squeak. I love it. Bubble and squeak, I know. Bubble and squeak, I cook it every morning Left over from the night before Hey, buddy! Yeah. Yeah. God, it's so good to see you. Oh. oh, just never let it end. Oh, good to see you. Thanks for choosing a kill floor to record this on. Hey, what do you mean? It was no. the scariest, darkest hallway I've ever. I actually agree. I got out and looked at like, my right and was like, "Where? I think I'm in the wrong spot." Oh, oh, what's up? How you doing, dude? What's your hat? Boston. Oh, okay. Um, how are you? God, By the way, just dude. so you know, this is not Tribeca. I just want to teach you about things. When you were like, found a place in Tribeca. I didn't say that. I said this is the end fairly of the world. close. This is horrible to <laughs> get to. We're recording this on the Staten Island Ferry. It's literally <laughs> horrible to get here. I ended up getting out of my car and walked. Because I'm still taking you in. I'm just drinking you in. It's great. You, you have not changed. It's really frustrating. Why? Everyone says that. Really? I feel like I have. No, you haven't. I certainly have. You have a lot. I'm elderly. Why would you say that? I feel elderly. Elsie, I can't even say elderly. What's with the intense beard, though? Um, it started with laziness and then turned into winter. So it's just insulation, really. Got to oh. be honest, my wife, I was going to shave it, and she went, don't do that. So, Oh, she liked it. Hello. Um, I can't. You, I know, like you know, I love No, I like it. No, I'm saying I love it here. Here in New York, it's just too cold. Oh, we've moved on from the beard. Okay. Well, you talked about winter. 
I thought that was a seamless transition. Get ready for a lot of those. Um, I love it here. You should move here. It's really cold. I know. And it's literally the opposite of what you want. There's not a lot of golf. Um, You've really done the post office thing right. I'll tell you that. What do you mean? Just, you know, show ends. You just become this, like, <laughs> golfing extraordinaire. Like, people don't know that I was over in oh, right. Monte Carlo. Morocco. Monaco. 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 One of those M's. Yeah. Well, Elderly. that's kind of, Monte Carlo and Monaco, I think, is kind of the same thing. Are I'm they? still not I'm not clear of it. All I know is that I heard that you were there. I texted you and you said, I'm going, oh my God, this is great. I'm about to golf on a cliff overlooking like Nice or something. Yeah. It was like and France. I was like, oh, and Italy. cool, man. Sorry about your life. <laughs> um look at that. You got notes. This is so official. No, no. I mean, this is you know, I mean, so wait, let's get official. back to it. You've now gotten everybody almost other than Steve. Basically, uh, yeah, Mike Sure. I'm going to stop making this noise. I'm sure I'm going to get that note pretty soon. Yep. That's a nod in the back. Yep. <laughs> Copy that. Allison Jones. Did you get Phyllis? Yep. And I got them together as a surprise. Oh, that's awesome. They Tears. didn't know? Uh, Allison knew. Phyllis did not. Oh, man. Yeah. They were like uh, mystics. They knew what was happening before we did. Yeah. In the casting process. They knew they were cooking something. But you started in New York, right? I did, yeah. Yeah. So you just, it was like, what, an open call or you got called in to? I got, wow, the elderly thing's kicking in. I got, I had just gotten a manager. I had gone out to LA to shoot this pilot and then they immediately didn't pick it up. And before I left LA, my manager said, you should meet this person, Allison Jones. So I went by and met her and wanted her to adopt me. And then she said, uh, you should pay attention to this thing coming out soon. It's called The Office, and you should, uh, you should come in for it. And I said, oh, that's really nice. So then I got back to New York, and about three weeks later, my manager called and said, they want you to come in for the show called The Office. And I was like, Allison Jones, pro. And they said, they want you to come in for the role of Dwight. And at that point, I had seen and fallen in love with the British show. Okay. I was down at Virgin Records. Remember that? Yes. I was down at Virgin Records in Union Square buying the like black DVD case. Sure, yes. Like the special edition and just binge watching that thing. And that's what made me so nervous. So the, I actually said, I don't know where I got, I was still waiting tables. Right. And I don't know where I got the confidence to go, yeah, no, I don't want to go in for Dwight. Let me know when they're doing the Tim character. And they basically said like, how dare you? Who are you? And my manager did say, he was like, wow, that didn't go great. They were very upset. And then <laughs> very luckily for me, I, like four, three, four weeks later, they still hadn't found a gym. And then they were like, now you can come in for gym. And I was like, okay. And then I went in, I'm trying to remember, I guess I did one just with the casting people and was totally terrified because not only was I excited about the prospect of getting the part, but I was also very nervous. Oh my God, I don't want to be on one of those shows that, because I was such a TV nerd. And I remember like Arrested Development was coming out around then. Right. And that was really good and smart. And I was like, oh no, we're going to take a really good, smart show and kill it. And while I was waiting in the waiting room, six gyms that looked identical to me had gone in and done their audition and left. And we were like high-fiving each other. And I was the last one. And right at that exact moment, they were like, we're going to take a lunch break for an hour. And I was like, oh, maybe see one more. Maybe we get one more in. <laughs> And I sat there very nervous and everybody left. It was at 30 Rock 
And then they came back with sandwiches and salads and someone sat down across from me with a salad and said, you know, are you nervous? And I said, no, you know, you either get these things or you don't, but I'm terrified for the person creating the show because I mean, I, I just feel like the Americans have such a track record of taking brilliant shows and ruining them. And he goes, I'll try not to. My name's Greg Daniels. I'm the executive producer. <laughs> and then I called my manager and said, I'm going to leave now. There's no way I can go into this room. And he was like, you have to, you have to go in and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I went in and I remember opening the door to uproarious laughter. And it was not laughter with me. It was, <laughs> it was definitely <laughs> laughter at me. Right. And Greg was running the room and very sweetly, but just like, this is the guy who ruined his own life. <laughs> and everybody was like laughing. And it weirdly was this bizarre blessing because, because they were already laughing I felt like I was already in my audition when I walked in. So I just kept going and read some lines and they laughed. And then later, I remember Greg saying, I'll never forget that you told me that it really helped your audition because you were really honest. And I remember I, 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 that's a vibe that I want on this show, someone who will be honest and make sure that we're all doing good work. And I was like, totally. So now I go into every audition for anything, just being like, so this movie sucks. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> Hasn't worked since. But, <laughs> but the weirdest thing was I came, and I didn't know this, that there's a dynamic between New York actors and LA actors. Did you know this? No, what? It's like sharks and jets. Like the New York actors go first because they flew in for it. And I remember Jim Gaffigan was on my plane auditioning for Steve's part. Okay. And um, we were all in this room doing auditions. And I remember I got really nervous because we had been auditioning for like two hours. And then they like slowly were letting New York people go. And then I watched all the LA people come in and was just completely judging myself on them. Man, I'm having like a, an acid flashback. But two people walked in that really blew my brain out. One was BJ Novak. Okay. Who I hadn't seen really since high school. We went to high school together. All right. So you knew him and he walked in. He walked. Yeah. I mean, imagine like somebody from your high school walking into a bizarre scenario already. You're in some weird, bizarro world auditioning to be doing something, pretend for the rest of your life. And then that person walks in. It was an acid trip. And I was like, hey. And then I got more nervous because he acted and directed and everything in high school. Like he was already in and I was barely an actor. I mean, I wasn't an actor. I was a waiter. And I was like, what part are you going out for? And he was like, oh, we're going, I'm doing this part called uh, Ryan. It's like, a, and I was like, oh, you're not going for Jim? Then I might still have a shot at this. <laughs> and then uh, I was like, cool, man, that's awesome. And was super like giving myself a fist pump. And then I'll, I, I know it sounds like a, like a fairy tale, but it's true. I remember Jenna Fisher walking in. And as soon as she crossed the threshold on the door, I was like, well, that's it. Like, that is exactly who should play Pam. And then what happened was, I watched her go in with all the other gyms and I was like, oh no. Cause like I saw that they were just lining up the gyms with her and I was like, see, she's, it's the tipping point. She's it. And I remember saying to myself alone in a corner, uh, if I don't go in with her, I know I don't have it. I know I don't have it. And I'd never went in with her. And then four hours after they had let go of all the New York guys, I was sitting there and stood up and walked on set while they were in the middle of someone's audition. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm going to leave now. I think you forgot to let me go home. And from behind a door, like a fake wall, they were like, wait, no, hold on one second. And then like Greg came out and they were like, just give us 30 more minutes. And I was like, uh -huh. and I was so insecure. 
And then I turned around, I waited another 15, 20 minutes and they were like, one more, just come on in. And I walked in and I saw that it was Jenna. And I was like, oh my God, if, if I'm auditioning with her, I'm back. You're, you have, have a, a shot. shot. And we did a scene together. That was awesome. And I remember having so much fun with it. I think it was at the copier, I think. I think it was one at the desk and one at the copier. And we just had to improv about stuff. And then we were walking out and I turned to her and I was like, just so you know, you're going to get the part. I know you're going to get the part. And she was like, oh my God, I said the same thing about you. As soon as I saw you, I was like, that's Jim. And it was really weird. And I was like, all right. And again, I don't know why this happened. But when I got the part, which was amazing, I legit jumped on a couch. Didn't think that that was real. And the only question I asked my manager at the time was, did Jenna Fisher get it? It was like, I didn't even get fully happy until I knew that she was doing the part because I was like, if she's the part, then again, it's just that one more step where like, this might be good. It's so interesting because- Was that a four-hour story? I think no, I that was really story. good. But what it, um, it's interesting. I had never heard this before. Greg said she was, she was it. From the beginning. Yeah. It's weird, right? And, like her and she, look is just so perfect for it. But then also like, I don't know, man. There was something in her delivery how like, I don't know what the word is, like demure or something. She was so good. I remember being so nervous when I was auditioning with her because I was like, I, she was so subdued and under where I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm like, just, I'm doing like physical comedy bits compared <laughs> to you. So I just went super submerged and was like, by the end, just being like, like barely talking. Right. So, so does she help you oh, in the audition? Sure. Oh, for sure. Because again, I knew that my chance, my only chance was with her. And as soon as I started acting with her, I was like, dude, this is the one. Don't blow this. So talk a little bit about, you're a fan of the British show. Yep. We start work on it. Ratings are not good. But are you feeling good about what we were doing? Oh my God, yeah. I think, you know, shooting the pilot, we were all a little nervous, right? I think so. We all felt like, oh my God, we're going to be judged on the actual British script. At right. least that's what I felt. But I was just so happy to be there. I knew the group was working really well. I knew the show, like our like you said, the world was really good. The vibe was really good. All the actors were incredible. And I got to be honest, it was probably one of the reasons why I was able to keep a level head because I didn't care if the show did well or not because I asked, um, what's his name? Oh my God. Um, the executive that came every Friday and that like super handsome dude, oh, I'm going to remember his name. He was so nice. Not Kevin Riley. No, no, no. He's super handsome as well. No. Jeff Engold. Oh, oh! Yes, yes. I got I to take a nap after pulling that. Jeff was the nicest guy. But don't you remember? He would come down, super nice, dressed well, handsome-ass guy. And I'd be like, what's up, Jeff? And he's like, oh, it's great. I love this episode. This will be the last one. And I was like, oh. And he's like, yeah, it's just not getting the ratings and the, and the network doesn't get it. I love it. But this is going to be the last one. He said that. Every week of the first season, those first six or six total, right? Including the pilot, just every week. And so, on the like fifth week, I said to him, Can you make me a DVD so I can give it to my mom so she at least knows that what I was doing out here was real and that I wasn't like living under a bridge somewhere, <laughs> right? And he said, Yes, I still have that DVD that he wrote hand wrote on it, uh, The Office episodes one through six. Wow. So that's kind of all I cared about was like, I definitely want to show my friends because this will be one of those things that's brilliant but canceled. And I want to show my mom and I want her to know that 
I'm okay. <laughs> but I'll tell you, I do know when it changed for me was I used to go to this same diner every morning with my buddy Danny. And on a Wednesday, because we used to air on Tuesdays, I think that that time, I walked in on a Wednesday morning and the same diner, same people were now looking up and being like, that's, that's the dude from that show. And it was sexual harassment had aired the night before. I, that, at least that was my moment that I really knew something had changed. Like people were watching. And it, start, it was weird because I was really happy about it, obviously. But I was also a little freaked out because that sort of like secret club that we had was no longer secret. Obviously, it was great that the secret club was not secret. But it, it was like a big transition for me. I remember that it took me a while to that people knew who I was, was very weird. I also remember this moment I was walking here in New York and I was walking through and this guy put his hand up real fast in my face and I thought I was getting assaulted. And he was like, you're on my iPod, dude. And I was like, what is an iPod? (laughs) What are you showing me? And there was my dumb face on his, whatever it was, like an inch by an inch or two inches by two Yeah, like the video iPod. Yeah. Big dial. Big dial. That was trippy for me. Interesting. And then the, the third and final thing was when we got parodied on SNL. I remember Fred Armisen did a weekend update piece. He was pretending to be Steve Jobs or was he talking about Steve Jobs? I think he was pretending to be Steve Jobs and he kept saying iPod and he was going iPod, the office at Apple, the office, iPod iPod, the office. And I remember laughing really hard because I loved everything Fred did. But I was also like, whoa, if we're being parodied on SNL, this is big. I think for me, the first Christmas episode that we did, that's kind of when the video iPod came out. There was a deal with Apple, as you you referenced, that we were going to be on there. And that's when we were in our second season. It was like like six episodes, four episodes. Three episodes. Trickling them out. One more. Zero confidence. And then I remember Greg saying it all, you know, I think a lot of people get to say, you know, we owe it all to our fans, but I think we might be the only show who actually owes it all to our fans because Greg told me that when people started paying for shows that they could watch for free on their TV, then they had to pick up the show. And I remember being like, what? That was just so mind blowing to me. Yeah. One of the things that we've been talking about are like comedy duos, Uh right? And we talk about the ensemble and it is like the greater ensemble, but also like the pairings, like the accountants, Michael and Dwight, Dwight and Jim, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and how all of those things, the smaller groups work together. That's when I think the show became stratospheric is when you guys started having real storylines. You know what I mean? Like, Right. I remember when like Creed had a f- big storyline for the first time and I was like, this is it, man. This is like painting pictures with the four primary colors or using everything you have in the palette and how much more beautiful. It- I-, I remember feeling that the show was like genuinely lifting off because like every one, you know, all those bullpen scenes got so much funnier when everybody was involved. Like Diversity Day. Diversity Day, which was the second episode. Right. It's cra- but it's crazy. That's when I knew that we were doing something different than the British. I might have even said it to Rain or Jenna. I was like, whoa. Like the fact that we're being this sort of uh, on the edge and it's so funny and making such a great social commentary using Steve as the 
the sort of boob character, it was so next level. Like that, that's when I realized like, oh, if I wasn't on this show, I would be obsessed with this show. I remember when uh, Larry Wilmore said, my name's Mr. Brown. He goes, I'm not calling you that. I lost my mind. That joke was so good. That was BJ who wrote that, right? Yeah. So good. But you, um, the Jim and Dwight stuff, and specifically what everybody talks about are the pranks. Yeah. And the two of you guys working together. Yeah. Why do you think you two worked so well together? I don't know. Either the characters or the, you know, the actors, you and Rain. Well, I mean, I think obviously there's some version of the old adage of polar opposites are always great. You know, whatever happens when you put two polar opposite characters together is sort of magical because it's the odd couple. You know what I mean? And I think that the beauty of our show that I really remember being so special is when pretty early on they would allow rain's character to have heart and you felt bad for him at times and then he'd totally not make you feel bad for him because he'd be doing crazy stuff but i remember that that really helped me with the pranks because it wasn't just being mean to him because pranks are easy you know what i mean i think pranks are kind of the easiest form of jokes i don't mean on our show i'm saying like doing a prank to someone sure because it's fish in a barrel kind of you know but i think that what the writers did so well was make those pranks kind of loving and like brotherly like there was a brother aspect to it that i think made them so great because i wasn't being mean i was doing something that i knew he kind of got a kick out of too it, i don't know that that's my theory on it but i think that he was everything i didn't want to be or so i thought we were in the scenes together coming from two totally different places and that's what was so cool like that weird explosive thing and it was one of those things where you know i think that when you put yourself as an audience member and you're like i think this is funny i knew this is what i would want to see is me trying to tell him something and him being annoying or the best is when we teamed up when we did when we did stuff together and we were a team oh yes. that was great that stuff was amazing like those those talking heads where we do together don't think i was professional once in those because when i sat in a chair next to him that weird energy radiated off of him and i just started laughing i'm a crier laugher and i had like that high-pitched girl laugh that's, right. that's what made rain so good is he he was able to i remember we always used to laugh because he had this look on his face that he'd give to me that would make me break every time. And by the way, it's like his face didn't even move, yes. but like some energy came out and I would laugh every time. He would do this like really funny kind of like dumb face at me and I would laugh every time. And I, it's funny. It's almost like he of all people made the lines feel like improv. Him and Steve, I think, made the lines feel the most like they were improving. Mm. You know you're the part of my favorite moment of shooting ever. What was that? People always ask me, uh, is, what's the hardest you ever laughed on set? Well, Without a doubt, later. it's when you sat on his lap. When you yes. sat on his lap and his improv with you, I think you can see it on the outtakes, right? Oh, yeah. It's the funniest. And by the way, to your point, again, you're right. They always went to you for a button because anytime they went to me for a button <laughs> and Steve was doing improv, I was not there. Physically not. I remember Matt Stone going, just, just let me know, are you going to be there? And I was like, no. Because I would laugh so hard that I had to walk off set. So you were I didn't, diving into the diving into the entryway of yes. the office, and I was just the most unprofessional. And they would you, you were doing such good work. And he said something about like 
attaching balloons to you or something. Yes. And they whipped me and I was like, dude, don't do it. I'm only going to fail you. And that was one of the only times that I just literally gave up on doing my job. And then he pretended that his legs were asleep. Yeah. I, but his voice changed when you sat on his lap. Well, th- that's, a, that's the thing that I always oh, that I always say to people was it, and it was right in my ear. Oh. It was right in my ear. And Merry he, Christmas. He knows what the, would you like? He goes, I would go, yo, what would you like, little <laughs> And it was like this inhalation of air and really like, low. Jeez, I didn't know you were going to ask me that. And he goes, oh, think quicker about it. Like that. And remember when he started banging his head on the glass? <laughs> Oh, that whole improv. And I remember, God bless Steve, he used to get so frustrated. Some, Not really, but like I, I know I was a pain in the ass for him because I would laugh so hard and some of he'd be doing the most genius stuff and I'd be in a two shot with him ruining the take. And he was like, come on, man, maybe don't laugh on this one. So nice about it, but also was like, I'd like to go home and see my kids. <laughs> I'd like to get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zen for a spin. Zen nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Ready to start your new journey? Get in gear with the Zen 10 Challenge. Enjoy Zen nicotine pouches for 10 days and discover a fresher way to experience nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. Here's how to get started with the Zen 10 Challenge. Simply pick your strength and varieties online and check out. Once your Zen nicotine pouches arrive in the mail, enjoy pure nicotine satisfaction at your leisure. After your 10-day trial, let us know what you think. If Zen isn't for you, no hard feelings. It's that simple.
Order online at Zyn.com. That's Z-Y-N.com to start your new journey today with the Zyn 10 Challenge. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. The office was constructed in the opposite way than most comedies or certainly television comedies where typically the leads are the young lovers Mm -hmm. and then you've got a crazy uncle or the crazy boss like that that is back in the corner coming in to add light no oh um this show was the reverse yeah no it's which which is never thought of it like that which which was putting and specifically the moments and examining like why Jim and Pam, like why that relationship became so important to people mm-hmm. and so charged was people weren't watching a half hour of it. Right. They were just stealing a moment from the corner, right. which makes you like want to lean forward. Yeah. And the other thing was, uh, there's an idea that when you generalize, it becomes more universal, right? Yep. Like this is generally who this guy is from this Midwestern town, but the amount of specificity and reality, both in those moments between Jim and Dwight and Jim and Pam, Mm -hmm. the opposite is true. That the more specific you get, Mm -hmm. that the characters become infinitely more real and therefore universal and relatable. Yeah. Uh, To me, that idea is, is interesting. No, I think it's, I think it's really true. And I, I think that's sort of the magic trick of the show is and i don't i don't know the specifics of why it's so huge now i mean it's mind-blowing to me a four-year-old came up to me at the airport and was like it's my favorite show and i was like do you get any of it and they're like yeah like it totally universal like you said but i also think that the stakes were set up so wonderfully because that's real life right i think Mm. when you're in love with someone especially someone at work you very much look forward to those interactions at work. But that means that when you go home and your home life with your friends or whatever else you're doing, you will not see that person. So you are sort of, I don't know, tantalized by the idea that like, when I get that moment, I'll savor it. And I think that's real life. And that's what we did in the show. I particularly am thinking right now about the relationship with Roy. You know what I mean? It's like, a, it's like lighting a fuse that might blow six weeks from now. But it was a very specific fuse, right? So... The first time you saw me and David together, people were like, oh, okay. So you just told me that this is a potentially explosive thing. And then we didn't go into it. You'd reference him a couple right. of times and it was very specific references. And she said that he brought me to the game and left me at the arena, like things like that, where you're just slowly leading the breadcrumbs back to the trigger. And then by the time he comes in and pushes me, you're so invested in that, not in a television way. I think in like a, like these people are my friends. Oh, right. My friend, as much as I love them together, is trying to go after a girl who's taken. That's real life stakes rather than TV stakes. And I think that's what made it like the first time that we accidentally kissed at Dundee's and like, that's real life. Whereas a regular television show would have a big, huge, kiss scene like they finally got together and it was i remember reading that script and being like man that is so smart 
that have the audience be like, did they just kiss? And it's and, and not give them what they thought they want. It was so, because that's how I felt. I felt like, oh my God, I thought we were going to do some huge kiss scene. Right. And instead she just did it at Dundee's and you're like, oh my God. And of course, I I would have stewed on that for months and been like, was that a did thing? Did that count? Was she just drunk? Right. Like, rather than if it was a big kiss scene where I took her out back and like, you know, made some huge overture, you'd be like, oh, good. I'm being entertained by this moment, but I don't feel anything. I'm not connected. I don't know. If that's any of that so made smart. sense. No, that's so smart, I think. I um, I think people see themselves in the show. And it's a combination, I would imagine, of every character. You know, I don't think you look at one character and you go like, oh, I'm Michael. <laughs> I hope you're not Michael. Right. But it, it's more like, oh, man, I have a coworker that loves cats. And I have a coworker that drives me insane. I, I don't know. Maybe that's it. And certainly people have bosses that are crazy. Right. Yeah. It's what you were talking about, I think is so true. I had a conversation with Greg where traditional sitcoms, there's a rhythm. There's yeah. a rhythm to the joke. It's Set up a knockdown. It's, to, it's totally on the beat. And I think that in the relationship between Jim and Pam, everything happened off of the beat, right. not at the time you expected, right? From no, it's your point. They were you snatch moments way early, like right, hey, like yeah. in terms of like the progression. But then also, what Greg talked about a little bit was once it got to a certain point that he was like, "Well, we need to get them together. Like, I'm not going to create artificial impediments that make everybody go like, yep. oh, come on, right?' Because I think he had brought this audience in to a very seemingly realistic relationship. So if you started doing weird things that felt fake, then people wouldn't relate to it anymore. I'm saying like, I love, I, I can admit on this podcast, I was never like a, a Casanova. I wasn't really great with dating. And I, think, really? and I think that's what's so great about the show is how do you go about that? Like, how do you start a relationship with someone who's already with someone it's a great place to start. Amazing. And then just, you know, slowly, you know, I remember also how bold it was that when you thought you would do something, you know, like propose to her, he would write an entire episode where you're like, oh man, and at the end, this is going to be the proposal. Because again, in TV, you know that like the big scenes are coming and he wouldn't do it. And then when I did propose, I loved that talking head where I was like, I've been planning on this forever. Like, I love that, you know? Um. I've said to people that nothing shut down production like an important Jim and Pam moment. Like oh. when there were moments between oh, you mean the two like of you. actually shut it down. No, I mean like shut it down. <laughs> right, right. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, like you're blushing right now, yeah. but it's, I mean, like casino night. Yeah. And not, that. and not just one, two different moments in casino night. Because the relationship was so important to the two of you and getting it right. Totally. I remember those two moments very well. I remember the parking lot. Yeah. It's funny now that you say that. Yeah. Which must have been frustrating for you. Like, oh, oh you'd be oh. like, oh, please just get me out of here before they film this or it's going to be seven hours. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we were in there that seven hours. But again, I had never experienced anything else. So that was weird for me. It was I remember like there was an energy around those moments. And I remember I remember so many different things, but I remember that 
parking lot scene, I remember not knowing where Matt was. Yes. And Ken wouldn't tell me. And he was like, don't worry about it. Just do the scene or whatever. You know, and I thought that was cool. And then certainly I remember the, like the big moment, the big kiss that was shut down. Like that was, nobody was on set. Nobody was around the craft service table. And, but I, I didn't know that was happening. So I walked on, you know, ready to joke with folks and they were like, not wanting to make eye contact with me. And I was like, what happened? Right. I feel like I said something to you. Like, yeah, what's I, going on? I know. I kind of remember that too. And then I it really made me did. more nervous because then they were like, all right, now maybe you should go out the door and whenever you're ready, come in. And I was like, what's happening? Is no one going to call action? And they're like, no, man. Well, the, do you remember that night? I, I remember that night. I remember. Because you were so frustrated, happening. you were still there. No, I just, I remember it being so big i think the thing that i am most proud of artistically is not blowing your top in that moment <laughs> in the show in the show was every single shot where the camera was positioned just the discussion about are the cameras in the room are the characters aware the cameras in the room right how does that change behavior right. based on the fact that the cameras right. are in the room right. or if they think that they're alone and I think that at that moment, specifically at the end of Casino Night, you see the slats in the blinds and yeah, them yeah, shooting yeah. and catching you guys, that there's such an intimacy. You know, yeah, it's but like, like Randall and Matt were two of my favorite people on earth and I couldn't see them. And like, I don't even think I got to see the set before I went on. You know what I mean? Like, it was all so weird. And I'm sure for a better actor you'd think like oh that's what you need right and so i i was like oh, i am a terrible actor because i don't know i'm nervous and maybe that was the intention but i was like i don't even know oh, remember randall wasn't anywhere and usually i was like what are we doing like what 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 how where do you want me to be and whatever and it was really weird i was so freaked out and i remember i was on set for a while before jenna got on too because jenna was taking her moment which is fine but again i was so not knowing of that world that i didn't know that i could take 30 minutes in my trailer to prepare mentally i was like mentally what's happening so then i got so much more scared <laughs> right. then i was like you know then you start to think like oh god i didn't do my homework and she's doing her homework right were you on board with the trajectory of jim and pam's relationship like just in terms of the timing did you have concerns about it happening too soon no it sounds like a, a hallmark version of greg but I truly and Greg, I trusted. I I could tell that he had a beat on it. He was always so nice to involve Jenna and I, I remember that he would tell you kind of when things were going to happen. And he would remind you in scenes, you know, don't worry, this isn't the moment that's going to lead to this. That'll happen later. Like he, he had it all tracked out. Also, we were what in season five or six by the time that I was in that motel with that other girl and stuff like that. And that's the only time I remember putting whatever, put my foot down, not really, but I remember I got, that was the only time I was very much against because he was saying, you're going to actually make out with her in this scene. And that I said, was the episode I directed. Yes, that's right. Yeah. The bed bugs. And I don't remember, it may have been an earlier version about you guys making out but no, we, i remember I, I that was the only time we had like a it was like a bad negative moment but i remember being in a room and it was like i i remember finding myself kind of saying things that i never thought i'd say before like i'm not gonna shoot it yeah i was and there. i remember paul lieberstein was in the room he was like no you you will do it not in an aggressive way but it was like he saw the benefit of doing it and i remember saying to greg there is a threshold with which you can push our audience. They are so dedicated. 
we have shown such great respect to them. There's a level of messing with them that you've done, like in a great way. I mean, like you've messed with them by the whole kiss happening too early. And I think there's a moment where if you push them too far, they'll never come back. And I think that if you show Jim to be cheating, they'll never come back. Yeah. And I... I what did you think? My, That's right. Well, you, you directed. What, did, what was your feeling? Well, about? my recollection... Well, it was never that you were going to make out, but it was about... Oh, there was. What there was, was the an early line, What was the line... How far can we go? I was supposed to kiss her in that bathroom. I remember yeah. that's what they were pitching. And I was like, I, I don't know that that's going to go well for us. Yeah. But even just you being in a room with her, the, you know, how would you behave even if you didn't think the cameras were there? Right. Because the cameras were shooting from outside and they weren't in the room. Right. Except when Dwight came in. Um, anyway, I, the whole point is the passion for which you fought and Jenna fought and Greg, like that everybody was collaboratively. Oh, totally. That's what I mean. It wasn't it. a negative fight. Yeah. It was a big conversation because again, it was so important to everybody. Yeah. But also I had trusted Greg up to that point and it was really hard for me to say, I think we're actually making the wrong decision. Right. Um, you obviously wildly successful when people approach you now, what percentage of it is about the office? Oh, large majority. Again, I think it's the difference between fans who feel like they're a part of something and fans who have watched something. I think there's very few things that I watched when I was a kid that I felt so connected to. It was more like, oh, I like the movie E.T. But there were very few things that I felt like if I ever saw that person, we shared a life moment together. Had right. I ever met Chris Farley, I would have said that because I watched Tommy Boy yes. so many times that he didn't know he was my best friend, but he was my best friend. So I think that thing is like I shared so much of my life with that show. That's why I think that people, you know, people have seen other things, which is great. Certainly recently, like I think Quiet Place and Jack Ryan, people are coming up a lot more. But I, I think our fans see me and instead of going up to an actor to get a picture or something they're actually seeing a friend of theirs is my point yeah my long meandering point is no one looks at jack ryan and is like oh my god my buddy jack ryan oh my god you're an actor i didn't realize right. they do think that with jim yes and i've had the my favorite experiences with fans is when they think we've gone to school together yes. or something that's my favorite yeah like i i had one where a woman said we know each other and i said do we and she goes we went to school together and I was like, I don't, I don't think we did. And she went, yes, we did. And it was like that thing of like, why am I being awkward about it? And I went, where did you go to school? And she said some school. And I went, I did not go to that school. And she went, yes, you did. <laughs> and like, I was like, okay. And then I left and I could see that either someone else, yeah, someone else had been like, you don't know that person. You just thought that. It was at the airport bookshop. And then through the window, you saw them being like, in silence being like oh no oh god it was it's great but i think that that's such a credit to the show that you don't just like the show you actually think you know those people um what are you most thankful for oh my god everything i mean are you asking me as a person yeah well i mean without sounding hyperbolic it's it is my everything i mean that show changed my entire life I was 23 when it started, so I hadn't even really formed an identity of who I was. And so that show, not only from a career perspective where I've had 
more opportunity than I ever would have dreamt of having for one day I have for an entire lifetime is all due to that show. I never would be doing any other thing that you've seen me do, writing, directing, acting, and something else, if it wasn't for that show. But as a person, I think it sort of gave me this very quintessential building block that I got to stand on to build the rest of my life. Yeah. You're, you're about to say that's all a crack of shit. No. What, what, what would you say? Well, I think it's very similar. I think I was processing what you were saying that because of the people who were working on it, not just the actors, but the writers who were mm. like all showrunners now from the early season, in, you know, in, in Mike extremely, Shore. Yeah, like and, extremely successful, fun, good shows. It's, but also our crew, like you said, like, I, you know, again, in a very probably lame, cliche, hallmark way, like, I don't know that as a person I would be able to have the luxury, forget, you know, success or finance or anything. It's the luxury of being who I wanted to be. I didn't know who I wanted to be. And because of such a warm environment where if everyone had a color, people were splashing their experience and their colors all over me, I got exposed to everything I wanted to be and then got to choose to move forward with my life in a way that I not only didn't know existed, but that I could sustain, like that you could, you could do fantastic, fun stuff every day for 10 years of your life. And genuinely, I've been asked, I'm sure you get asked all the time, what year were you guys all over it? Like, when were you guys like, ugh, we're over it? And I genuinely am trying not to look back with revisionist history. I don't remember one moment where I was like, ugh, such a job. That's just mm-hmm. such a- yeah writing acting directing is there one you prefer oh, that's a good question i i don't know i i i think yeah i think acting was always I, I think because it was the first there's something i really love about it i think that there's elements to acting being more fun because you don't have the weight of responsibility of any kind like turning in a script you have the responsibility i hope this doesn't suck and directing you have all the responsibilities, which can be terrifying. But by the way, you, you don't want to suck being an actor either. But I don't know. I, I guess that it's once you've gone to the, you know the whole behind the camera idea, and you see how the sausage is made, you realize how. I think writing and directing made me a better actor, and and vice versa. You know, everybody. I remember always getting awards. People would always be like, "And thanks to the crew and whatever." And we had the greatest crew of all time. And I think that that taught me to look back on all the things I loved, movies and television, whatever, and realize that for every moment you remember watching and loving, there were three to 600 people who made that moment exactly happen at that exact time. And it was magic from props to camera to set design. Anyway, that kind of thing. I don't know if that answered anything. No, I think so. Like people always ask, how did I get into directing or writing? And it's like, because I went to the best film school ever, which was The Office. And you learn what's good. I think my taste level became solidified on that show. Like, I see what's possible now in everything I do. Um, I've said this before, that I never would have directed and rewritten A Quiet Place if it wasn't for Greg. Because I remember him saying to me one day, don't look at this as a comedy. 
just be in the moment, right? right. You, you, your character doesn't know he's funny. Right. We get to, we get to decide, right? So we're not making a comedy. We're just telling the best story we can. And if you end up laughing, great. If you cry at a moment with Pam, great. But just tell the best story. So when I got offered Quiet Place, I was like, I don't know anything about horror. And I remember actually sitting down before I wrote the script and said, I'm not going to make a horror movie. I'm not going to make a genre movie. I'm going to tell the best story I can about this family. And if you end up getting scared at moments, that is on you because it's only my job is only to tell you the most concise and strong story I can. And then every emotional thing that you feel is coming from you and how you're experiencing it. And I remember I never would have had the guts to do that because. I would have said the same thing I said to Greg that day, which is like, I, I don't want to mess this up. I, I want to make sure I'm really funny in this scene for you. And he was like, no, 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 I don't want you to be funny. I want you to tell the best story and let other people decide whether the scene is funny. And I was like, whoa, mind-blowing stuff. That is very, very smart. But The Quiet Place isn't a comedy? No. You should see it before we do an interview. Oh, shoot. Thanks, bud. You're welcome. Is it over? Yeah, I mean, do you have anything else you want to say? <laughs> I mean, I mean, feel like we covered a lot of topics. Did we? We covered a lot of ground. I don't know what I said. Um, John, I love you so much. Love you. And I appreciate you coming and talking oh to God, me. This is great. But also, it's just so good to see you again. So good to see you. I feel like I just went to a therapy session. You did. You did great. Which don't cut yourself out of this. You, oh, <laughs> you, oh, you'll get my bill. Um, we still have headphones on. Which allows me to do this. <laughs> well, I don't want slip you slip around. I don't want you slipping. I don't want you slipping around <laughs> in my brain or ear. Um, are we done? Can I please get him the hell out of here? <laughs> All right. Uh, All right, guys. Dude, thank you. Welcome, dude. Thank you. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zen for a spin. Zen nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction anywhere. Anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Ready to start your new journey? Get in gear with the Zen 10 Challenge. Enjoy Zen nicotine pouches for 10 days and discover a fresher way to experience nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. Here's how to get started with the Zen 10 Challenge. Simply pick your strength and varieties online and check out. Once your Zen nicotine pouches arrive in the mail, enjoy pure nicotine satisfaction at your leisure. After your 10-day trial, let us know what you think. If Zen isn't for you, no hard feelings. It's that simple. Order online at Zen.com. That's Z-Y-N.com to start your new journey today with the Zen 10 Challenge. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Welcome back, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that. But now it's time to celebrate the real birthday boy, Mr. Craig Robinson. That's right. Today, October the 25th, Craig entered this world. Well, not today, but some years ago, 50 years ago, in fact, Craig was born. Craig and I, we've been friends for over 17 years now, and we've had, we've had, We've had some pretty good times. You know, you have never truly lived until you have spent a very late night listening to Craig Robinson play any song you could possibly name on his keyboard. That's right. Any song you can name, Craig can play. And if he doesn't know the song, this is not a joke. You just hum a little bit of the song for him and he starts playing it. And it's usually better than the original. He is absolute fact. He is a musical genius. Okay. I've done enough talking, especially nicely about Craig. The time has come. Here he is my friend and yours, Mr. Craig Robinson. What's up, buddy? What's up? How you doing? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm all right. So, I mean, I'm good. Yeah, it's been so long since I saw you. <laughs> How long? I mean, a couple of years. It's been a few. What's new in your life? I mean, I'm doing this right now. Yeah. I'm on the road a lot. You? Oh yeah, I do comedy. You know. Yeah. Is this thing on? Yeah, it's probably on. We start already? Well, not really. Tell the truth, man. I mean, it's it's recording, but I'm just interested in saying chatting. what's up. Okay. Um. Check, 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 check. Are you checking your sound? Yeah. Are you a sound expert? Well, you're a musician, well, so like yeah. To, I mean, I don't know if it's going louder or softer. <laughs> there it is. Did I ever tell you the story? This is before 
I I think I we had done the pilot only, and I hadn't been in L.A. very long. Did I ever tell you going the M Bar story? For real, I went to the M Bar, and they used to do like an open mic night. Okay, and somebody was like, "Oh, go to the M Bar." I think I knew someone who was like a server there, and I remember it was David Cross was there, and Sarah Silverman, some other people, and you. You were. So far and away, the funniest thing I saw me? that night. Well, you had a guy with me and you. Jerry. 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 Yeah, yeah, I think me and Jerry did it. Bro. Yeah, yeah. You're, how many shows you do a year? I mean, how many cities or shows? Shows are like you know five, sometimes seven a weekend. So I probably do thirty, thirty plus weeks a year. Jesus. Or if I'm not filming something. So you're the hardest working man in show business. Not, not by a long shot. <laughs> <laughs> um, you incorporate music a lot into your stand-up. Mm-hmm. Do you think that Daryl being a musician on the show, did that come from you? Do you think the writers wrote that? Absolutely. Yeah. They, 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 uh, we were like a, uh, a towel being wrung out. They got whatever, <laughs> whatever they knew we could do. They got it out of us. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You started pretty early. I mean, I remember the, Christmas episode, you and I, I think we were DJing in the corner, and then gradually you started. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember oh, that. Jesus. We, we had like, a, what do you call those little balls that, with the lights and- uh, Disco ball. Disco ball, obviously. I mean, for people who don't know, music comes very easy to you. Yes. I have seen people hum you tunes, and you start playing. Well, I mean, trained here. Is it trained or is it natural? I mean, both. You had to sit down and like, like there was a time I was sitting like play a song and let's break down note for note each chord, rewind it, play it again, rewind it, play it again until I got each chord and then go through the whole song. And then once you do that, you know, sometimes you, you can start, you know, see patterns and, you know, see what's going on in the song. So that's how you learned? hmm Do you read music? Yeah. But how you taught not you. like I can hear music. I could it take me a while to read some music, but I, I can hear pretty good. You hear better than anyone I've ever seen. Okay. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm trying no, so. I know I don't know who you see. Well, right. But but you trained yourself to do that. I think people think about it as being sort of a natural gift, but no, you it, it's definitely a gift, but it's it's you know, it's a gift you have to work for. It's like you you gotta ha- know you had the talent to do it and then just develop that right i remember later on they kept pairing me with you and ed helms in musical situations what was our, our group, the zits the zit kevin and the zits kevin and the zits. there was kevin and the zits and i remember we would you know we never had time to read the episodes before we did them right and we would read the episodes and they would be like song 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 <laughs> And I don't know if you knew this, I would go to them and I would be like, okay, when is rehearsals? When is rehearsals? And then I would come to you and I'd be like, all right, you guys, can we? And you'd be like, yeah, yeah, no, we're good. We're good. And Ed be the same way. Like, Ed's like, no, no, that's fine. No, I got it. And I was like, no, 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 guys, I don't have it. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Um, there's a quote that has been attributed to you, which that you basically started doing music because it's there were so many funny people in Chicago that you wanted to do something that was different in a way. Is that true? 
Not exactly. Okay. Um, I just, you know, I, I, it's my thing. And I had the song that I did in college that transferred over to the stage. I would like play, you know, piano. I said, I'm singing to a girl on the phone. You know, singing a nice and like talking to her, singing to her a little bit. You know, it's romantic. And I hit up with it. Can I have some booty? Right. And then I was like, okay. Now I'm listening to see if she's laughing or what she. So if she's laughing, I'm like, okay, we good. But uh, so then I did that like a I don't know, some open mic kind of thing. But it wasn't an open mic. It was like you know, actors in a room on a Friday night, like right. You know, and then you just did what you do. So then once I started doing comedy, I went up and did this show, and uh, it it didn't go too well. It was this thing called Heckler's Heaven. It's in Chicago, and, and you get eight minutes to perform. The first three minutes, nobody gets to mess with you. From the third minute on, if people wanted to heckle you, there are three people in the audience who have rubber chickens. If you got all three rubber chickens, you had to get off stage. Okay. And then uh, <laughs> the other three people have scorecards. So I got two rubber chickens the first night. And uh, before I got to third, I was like, I'm not getting a third chicken. I said, good night. <laughs> then the next week, I came back with my keyboard. And that was all she wrote. You did the song that ends with your buddy getting the phone. Um, Somebody's fucking my lady. Somebody's fucking my lady, yeah. yeah. Somebody's fucking my lady. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what you saw at M-Bar, girl. Sure. That's what I saw at M-Bar. Yeah. It was one of the funniest that's, things That's I've ever what seen. got me. Like they got me in front of Appetow. They got me in front of Greg Daniels. Really? Yeah. When I did my audition for the office, Greg Daniels was like, "Doesn't get any funnier than that." I was like, "Okay, now audition." Like, oh, what? Like, it <laughs> seems like a big vote of confidence, right? Right. I'm thinking, like, oh man, well, what do I do now? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, because they had seen, you, they saw you at a club. Okay. Well, not at a club, but you know, oh, they, online, they pass. They're, yeah. they're like, you gotta see this guy, or you know, you know how. Right, 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 right. Um, I feel like Daryl, you know, even from the beginning had kind of a gym thing with the camera. Like it felt like you were on the same page. Like you would do the looks to the camera. Like, did you just see that idiot? I don't get a lot of camera looks to later, but people do say, yeah, he, he, see me as a voice of reason in, uh, in all the insanity. Yeah. Ben Silverman says that you were the smartest person who worked at Dunder Mifflin. Well, no, not you, but Daryl. Right, 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 right. <laughs> I, I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> Daryl was just trying to, you know, be honest, make an honest buck, and right. couldn't believe a lot of things that was going around him. And, you know, he knew he had to keep the peace and knew he had to uh, keep his job. Yeah. So uh, I, I don't I don't think he ever thought, I'm smarter than these cats. He just was, you know, just like, would you believe these cats? You know? But it felt like, you know, they showed a lot that the warehouse maybe was run more efficiently than the regular office. Like you were, well, you were good at right, your job. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Daryl's relationship with Michael in the show, it was a very, like he kept coming to you for advice, particularly on black culture. It was a very, very funny dynamic. What was your experience working with Steve? Uh, he's the greatest. The way he could turn that comedy button off and on like a faucet was uh, 
just genius to me. Whenever I had a scene with him, oh man, that was like titillation. It was like, oh, you know, very exciting. And I, I learned from him, stole from him, all of that. Yeah. It's funny that you said you said that because I thought you were going to say something else, which I think is also true, is part of his genius is how he turns so quick, even within a scene. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he, he, is, he is fighting down one path and something may happen and he just turns it like that. And, and he's like, you know, ultimate scene partner too. He listens and reacts to, you know, what's going on. Like we had a scene that I didn't even really notice until it aired. It was a negotiation. Okay. That might be my favorite episode just because the work I did with Steve and being able to play with him like that. It was a scene where he's like, I'm not going to speak first, like right. decline to speak first. So we did a couple of takes and it was fine. Da, da, da. And then he did this next take and he started making these faces. And if you look closely, you can see me start to crack a smile on that. But um, <laughs> it was just like, without even speaking, he, he could, you know, pull this out of you. The laughter is like, oh, he's about to get me. But also in that episode, when I was saying uh, the way he listens and, you know, like the perfect improvisation partner, you listen and then take it to the next level. So we were talking about, you know, getting a raise from Jan. I said, make it happen, Captain. And he said, I will, Sergeant. <laughs> I was like, God damn. This is amazing. Uh, Have you ever seen Greg go into his own? Like what? So we were doing this show. This uh, wasn't office. It was uh, Mr. Robinson. Mr. Robinson, yeah. And so we had the pitch, like the big pitch was like, Later on in the day, and uh, and, and Kasky was there. Tracy, shout out Tracy, and, and she had to move. She was like, "Greg, we gotta go." And Greg went into this feverish, fierce, like you saw his brain work. He started writing and, and banging his thing, and it, it was it was like watching Michelangelo paint or something. It, it was it was like, "Oh, this is happening right now in front of me." Dude is incredible. Salute, Greg Daniels. Yeah. When, when he was doing going into his writing mode and Katsky was trying to shut Greg, we got he almost like, like you know, <laughs> like he was typing. It was, it was it was amazing, bro. Wow. He was just he like he had an idea he, and he had it, to get it dude, done. I swear uh, it was like watching Harry Potter or something. It, it was it was magic. It was like a whirlwind around him and and he almost barked at her <laughs> when she tried to get him to go. <laughs> yeah. Is he the smartest comedy person you know? Yes. I'm going to have to say absolutely. I do love working with Greg. I mean, he couldn't be a nicer guy, you know, and then smartest dude in every room. Yeah. What are you, what are you most thankful for, for the office? Um, you know, when you meet people, it's it's this uh, genuine, like, like it feels like you you have friends everywhere, and that's uh, that's a big part of my life. 
because, you know, these friends come out, they support my shows and what have you. And it's a lot of, uh, like, the, the deeper goals, you know, people have these stories of, you know, my, my, my mother had cancer and, you know, we, we watched The Office and, you know, we got through this. And it'll be these incredible, heart-wrenching stories about our family. We don't talk, but we bond over The Office, you know. I think you asked me, you was like, why, why the hell is this show still relevant? And I think that's that's a big part of it. People really connect through the show with family members or whoever. Right. Why do you think it resonates? I mean, here was my impression anyway, that people were like, oh, The Office. Yeah, people can relate because 60 million people work in offices around the country. So, of course, now, like, it's young people who are young really people. into it. Soldiers, for sure, man. Um, yeah, and then young people, like, starting it. And then people are like, yeah, I'm on my ninth, ninth time around watching it. Or we watched it, you know, three times or four times. You know, it's a phenomenon. I don't know how to put my finger on it. I think that awkwardness, you know, it's got everything. It's got humor, awkward. It's got heart. Uh, you, you fall in love with people. And, you know, it's a beautiful show. Yeah. All right, guys, do we need anything else from Mr. Robinson here? Nope, I take the set, Brian. Good. Thanks, buddy. You're welcome, sir. Dude, it's been so crazy. I've seen everyone. Uh, John, Jenna, Rain. I'm sure Steve. this is the most boring interview. No. Easy. About I know. I, no. I'm suck at these things. But it's good. <laughs> John, Craig. I have to leave you with these four parting words. It is your birthday. So powerful, I know. But in all seriousness, happy birthday, guys. I am uh, so glad that our paths crossed all those many years ago. And to all of you out there listening, thank you so much for joining me. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. I promise you it will be magical that was a hint we'll see you next week off the beat is hosted and executive produced by me brian baumgartner alongside our executive producer ling lee our producers are diego tapia liz hayes hannah harris and emily carr our talent producer is Ryan Papa Zachary, and our intern is Sammy Katz. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by my great friend, Creed Bratton.
If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen nicotine pouches, you can find many. Zen is America's number one nicotine pouch. It's made with only six simple ingredients. Plus, Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day hassle-free trial. There are lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zen. Find your Zen online or in a store near you at zen.com slash find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.